Seeing a genetic counselor can be useful if you have an extensive family history of diabetes, particularly if the people with diabetes in the family don't seem to have a lot of risk factors for more common types of diabetes. Brought to you by the National Society of Genetic Counselors, this is Genetic Counselors and You. Answers to your genetic questions by Genetic Counselors. For more information about genetic counselors, including what they do and why you might see one, visit aboutgeneticcounselors.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our next episode of the Genetic Counselors and You podcast. As some of you may already know, November is American Diabetes Month. The CDC Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimated last year that around one in 10 Americans has diabetes. And since November is a time when we often get together with relatives, some of you may be wondering, how worried should I be about diabetes based on my family history? This episode will help to answer some of these questions. We invited Dr. Tony Pollan to share her thoughts. Dr. Pollan is an associate professor in the Department of Medicine, Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes and Nutrition, and in the Department of Epidemiology and Public Health at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, where she also leads a PhD MS track in human genetics. She is a board-certified genetic counselor and has a PhD in human genetics. Welcome, Tony, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So thanks, Tony. And, and so maybe as a start, it would be helpful to share with the audience what diabetes is. So the simple answer uh, to that, Kenny, is that diabetes is refers to high blood sugar. The word diabetes originally referred to excess urine production. Um, usually when we say diabetes, we're talking about the group of disorders called diabetes mellitus, which literally means sweet urine, and because the excess urine production is due to high levels of sugar in the blood and considered a disease because it can be lead to complications in both what are called the microvascular complications. So it can lead to problems with the eyes and kidneys and nerves and also macrovascular complications. It's associated with heart disease. And, and so that's essentially what it is. And it's common disease and it, it happens and it's in a crucial part of kind of what keeps us going because it's, it's a problem in how we're regulating our main source of energy. Thanks, Tony. And, and you mentioned like how common is it actually? And I've heard sort of type one and type two diabetes. I'm sure many of the listeners have heard these terminologies as well. Can you share how common it is and really what the differences are between these different quote unquote types? Sure. So diabetes is quite common in the United States. It's now at a point where it appears to be affecting more than one in 10 people among children, a bit lower, more like one in 400. And so, yes, yeah, so, so there are different types of diabetes. And I think many people are aware of the classifications type one and type two. There are actually more than that. And even type two itself is multiple diseases. So just to give you a quick overview, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease generally where the, the body's immune system turns against the cells in the pancreas that produce insulin, which are called the beta cells. And it usually affects it, children, but it can also affect adults. But mm. because it primarily affects children, it was once also called juvenile diabetes. 
Type 2 diabetes, I'll kind of, I'm going to kind of come back around to because type 2 diabetes is kind of diabetes that is not type 1 diabetes, but it's also not one of the other types that I'm going to talk about. But it's some combination. Type 2 diabetes is kind of a, an umbrella term for diabetes that mostly occurs in adults, but can occur in children. So once it was called adult onset diabetes, now it's called type 2 diabetes. And it's some combination of difficulty using insulin, which is called insulin resistance, and some relative difficulty, but not but usually not complete difficulty producing insulin. And so, so those are sort of kind of the main categories where we place that diabetes, but the way that the American Diabetes Association divides it not into four types, but four categories. So the third category is called diabetes due to other specific causes. So this includes um, diabetes where there is a very strong genetic component um, we also have a category of diabetes called gestational diabetes mellitus, and that's where some people, you know, strictly speaking, some women will only have hyperglycemia during pregnancy because pregnancy places people more vulnerable uh, to high blood sugar. Well, thanks, Tony. So it sounds like it's diabetes is a common. You mentioned one in 10 and, and, and Americans, and also there are many subtypes or many types beyond the type one and type two that most listeners may be familiar with as well. So I, I think one of the other questions that obviously this podcast is focused more on genetics aspects is how, how do genes or family history play a role in these different types of diabetes? I think you briefly mentioned certain types obviously will have a higher play on this, but can you elaborate a little bit more in terms of how it plays a role in, in all this, these different types of diabetes you mentioned? Absolutely. The the overall answer is in a major way, but it's very different in each of the categories. So if we take type 1 diabetes, I, I mentioned that type 1 is generally an autoimmune disease. And there are actually been discovered to be about 50 genes that, that where variants have been found to influence the risk of type 1 diabetes, but they don't necessarily cause it. They increase the risk. The most important is what's called the human leukocyte antigen of the major histocompatibility complex region, the HLA genes in type 1 diabetes. So there are certain genetic variants in the part of the genome that regulate immune response that make people more vulnerable to type 1. There are also some of these that can make pe- that can protect people from type 1. But it's the, some of these, these risk uh, variants in HLA are considered necessary but not sufficient. And so there's a great variability in whether people have these and then whether they'll go on to develop type 1 diabetes. And we actually used to think that, you know, if a sibling had it, they're a, that like a, an identical twin, identical twins even, were not completely concordant. Your identical twin might have like a 40% chance of having it, which is much higher than the general population. We actually now know because we know the age of onset varies so much in type 1 diabetes that it's very likely at some point in their life that an identical twin would get it, but it's very variable. Mm-hmm. Type 2 diabetes, like I said, it's a lot of different diseases, but it has a lot to do with it. And so there are many different pathways that play into it. Type 2 diabetes, it turns out, aggregates in families very much. And I think there's probably a couple reasons for that. One is that is that there are a lot of different genetic factors involved that influence how the body makes and uses insulin. And the other thing is that there are risk factors for type 2 diabetes that can congregate in families. 
So people who are overweight are not guaranteed to, but are more likely to get type 2 diabetes. So sometimes that can kind of increase how family history will play a role, but it can also potentially increase opportunities for intervention. And so that's kind of the, the genetics of type 1 and type 2. Even though type 2 is generally a later onset disease, is actually overall, if you kind of look at somebody's family history, people with type 2 diabetes are more likely to have a family history than people with type 1 diabetes. Externally. So going back to type 1 and type 2 diabetes, it sounds like that what you're saying is that for both type 1 and type 2, there are many genes that could be involved and other environmental factors as well. But in general, though, if there's your family has multiple relatives with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, that there will be a higher risk in developing that type of diabetes. Is that correct? That is correct. So having diabetes in your family influences your risk. Having a family history of type 2 diabetes influences your risk probably more than it does in type 1. And I should mention, whereas there's there's kind of 50 genes with known involved in influencing type 1, there's over 200 genetic variants that have been found to influence type 2 diabetes. And then, of course, if you have if monogenic types of diabetes, then not only are you risk for diabetes, but you can start getting into really more specific numbers and prognosis information based on what, if you know what gene is, is affected in that family. Thanks, Tony. And I one, just want to confirm, too, if basically, let's say I hypothetically have uh, many relatives, a few uncles and cousins with type 2 diabetes, uh, increases my risk mm-hmm. for type 2 diabetes, but not type 1 necessarily. Is that correct? So it's more around that type of diabetes. Not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, they really are different diseases on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, diabetes is, you know, that is really, first of all, you know, you could ha- you could theoretically have multiple causes of diabetes. Within type 2 diabetes is a lot of different diseases, so there's a lot that we, we don't know about. That's helpful. Thanks, Tony. I think this leads into my next question. Wow. Like, what are the common questions that you from patients related to diabetes and specifically related to genetics or genetic testing around diabetes? Yeah. So I think some of them that, that you've you said and really have started this, that, you know, people want to know if their family history is important. Obviously, it is. diabetes does run in families. It does have a lot of genetics to it. I think sometimes I've heard people say, well, how could that person have diabetes if they aren't overweight? And also sort of what does being overweight or obese or sedentary have to do with diabetes? The answer is that those things can be risk factors for developing type 2 diabetes because they're risk factors for something called insulin resistance, where for some people, the more weight they gain and the more sedentary they are, the less well that they process insulin to use it to get the glucose into their tissues. And some people ask that. And so along with that, people ask, is diabetes preventable? Is it curable. And so that, again, depends on the type. So, in con- you know, sometimes people like to simplify things and say that type 2 diabetes is a lifestyle disease. Um, it is not. On the other hand, if there are these risk factors that can be minimized, you know, through lifestyle change. So some people have a very high genetic loading, if you will, for diabetes. They may have a lot of variants inherited from one or both parents that are increasing their predisposition to diabetes. And Mm -hmm. so they may get type 2 diabetes 
at a younger age or in the setting of setting of a more active lifestyle. And then, you know, and then there might be people who on the other end of the spectrum might ha- not have that much genetic loading, but if they have very strong other risk factors, then they may be vulnerable. And some people may have very strong risk factors. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, on the one hand, you can have a very simple message that, you know, excess con- consuming more more energy than, than you need and not having enough activity are, you know, certainly big contributors, but they're, they can prevent diabetes or delay diabetes in some people, but not in everybody. I guess the other question about people ask about, you know, is it curable? And I think, you know, we, we know not much more about how to treat diabetes and prevent its complications than we used to. We know that, you know, trying to control blood sugar and keep it within close to a normal range as possible. I see. Thanks, Tony. And I think this earlier too, in terms of genetic testing, like what are your thoughts around mm-hmm. genetic testing? Is it useful for, I, I understand that for certain types of diabetes, the monogenic ones where clearly it may be useful, but what about for type one or type two diabetes? Is it useful for a consumer to consider this? If they have a family history of quite a few relatives of type 2 diabetes, for example. Yeah, just to go in numerical order, I mean, I'll start with type 1 diabetes. So type 1 diabetes, there's really not currently clinically useful genetic testing. There are studies looking at something called a type 1 diabetes risk score. And there's also type 2 diabetes risk score that looks at, you know, a bunch of different variant to kind of stratify people into different risk groups. Again, not really being used clinically, but there are some studies that are kind of taking people who come from high-risk families who might already have a relative with diabetes and looking at their genetics, looking at those antibodies I mentioned, and, you know, trying to see, using that as kind of a predictor and also kind of to follow people to see if you can figure out like what, you know, what are the, the triggers to increase the risk. So really more useful on a research basis. There's some suggestion that these that this risk score, this kind of seeing if you're more likely to have this autoimmune type 1 diabetes can be like a first step to kind of help to figure out what type of diabetes um, you have along with other information. Like if it's, you know, especially because testing for the other forms I talked about, monogenic diabetes can be expensive. So it can be sort of helpful as kind of a, a first step to, to see how likely you are to test for that. Mm-hmm. In type 2 diabetes, there also are risk scores available. In fact, possible, you know, there's a direct to consumer test um, available. Thanks, Tony. So I, I think just Going back to type 1 and type 2 diabetes, to what you mentioned earlier, so what I'm hearing is that there may be uh, some tests available in the market right now that look at the risk of you developing these diabetes, but at this time, you don't believe that this is helpful for the average consumer. It's more for research, applicable for research at this time. Yeah, that's correct. With one caveat that I not have emphasized this enough, but you know, most of the time, because you know, many people don't know about these monogenic forms of diabetes, they can go underdiagnosed. So they can go, they can often be diagnosed as type one or type two. So mm. the thing that's critical um, in thinking about family history is is looking at what the family history looks like and mm-hmm. some combination of, of the person's individual diabetes history and what it looks like in their family um, could be a clue 
that actually this may be a type of diabetes that fits more into, you know, the monogenic. And, and so that can be, as I said, that babies who are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes but actually probably have a monogenic form. Um, if there's a family where maybe not everybody has this profile, but several people are getting what looks like type 2 diabetes, you know, diabetes where there is insulin produced, but a lot of them are young, you know, maybe, you know, maybe in their 20s or early 30s. Um, and, you know, and may not have other, other risk factors, then, you know, you start to wonder, well, it's really looking like it's running in the family the way a, a dominant genetic disease would. Then you start to wonder, well, maybe all these people don't have type 2 diabetes. You know, maybe this family history is telling me something else is going on. Again, most, most mm-hmm. of the di- diabetes is type 2 diabetes, but, but, you know, there are these kind of atypical situations that, that are challenging to, to tease out, but are important to be aware of because they could have strong implications. Thanks, Tony. So you mentioned challenging situations. So when would it be appropriate for someone to speak to a genetic counselor so, so that there's more help in determining whether their family history is more complicated than it seems to see whether, it, whether, whether additional testing is needed, um, for example? Seeing a genetic counselor can be useful if you have an extensive family history of diabetes, particularly if the people with diabetes in the family don't seem to have a lot of risk factors for more common types of diabetes. So a lot of type 2 diabetes where there's where people are not necessarily getting it at older ages or particularly overweight. So type 2 diabetes in people who are young and lean, that can be a sign. As I said, anytime there's a, a baby in the family who gets diabetes before the age of six months, and people who have an unusual presentation of diabetes. And so there, there are examples and there are websites that we'll send you to with more specific lists. But mostly we think about it in a child who has diabetes, but it's not consistent with being type 1 diabetes. They don't require insulin or maybe they went off of their insulin for extended period of time. That can be a clue, especially if they don't have the antibodies that are associated with autoimmune diabetes. Um, people with type 2 diabetes who, again, don't fit the profile of type 2 diabetes that we often expect. But, you know, really it's useful to speak to a genetic counselor. And what I'd really like to emphasize is to try to, if you have diabetes um, and you want to investigate the possibility of genetic testing because you think it may be one of these unusual but highly genetic forms of diabetes, then it would be good to not only speak to a genetic counselor, but to try to engage your genetic counselor with your diabetes provider in kind of a collaborative approach to trying to diagnose and figure out if there might be something going on in you or your family that's different from the the more common types of diabetes. Well, thanks, Tony, for joining us today and sharing your experience with the listeners. Do you mind sharing a few takeaways that you would love the audience in general to be aware of related to diabetes? Sure. The main things I think to be aware of is that diabetes is very common and it's now affecting more than one in 10 Americans and probably about one in 400 children. And also diabetes is not just one disease. It's many different diseases that are defined by high blood sugar with different causes. So um, we talked about type 1 diabetes, which which is an autoimmune disease often occurring in children, but also adults. Type 2 diabetes is kind of a diagnosis of exclusion with a variety of causes. Uh, You have diabetes that's due to 
other specific causes. Um, that includes these, these highly genetic monogenic forms of diabetes and, and some other some other types uh, that we talked about. And then, you know, then there's also this category of gestational diabetes. And then finally, what I hope people take home from this is not in everybody, but in, you know, in, in some percent, in some, you know, probably one or two percent of individuals with diabetes, genetic testing can really profoundly influence, influence how the diabetes tr- is treated and the outcome. And, you know, the easy to remember thing, but it's hard to remember because it's a rare situation, is that diabetes is diagnosed before the age of six months then genetic testing should be done, that um, individuals with atypical features, and so they could consider going to a, a genetic counseling or a diabetes genetic specialty center when you see kind of non-insulin requiring, non-autoimmune diabetes in young people, when you see what looks like type 2 diabetes occurring in, in young, non-overweight, non-obese um, individuals with a you know very clear dominant inheritance pattern, and then also others who should think about it are people with, you know, with other congenital conditions that might, along with the diabetes, make up um, a syndrome where it's important to know that in order to think about what other conditions they might be at risk for. And just so, thanks, Tony, just so that the listeners are familiar with congenital conditions, can you share one or two examples of something? Yes, yes. So, so that you know, this can again be tricky too, but because many some of these conditions are can be complications of diabetes. So, but for example, there's some types of monogenic diabetes where where people have both from birth they have they might have cysts in their kidneys or ab, or other abnormalities to their kidneys or or other parts of their urogenital system. There are certain types of there's certain syndromes where diabetes is accompanied by by hearing loss or or vision loss. That's that's all occurring you know, that's all kind of present very early, like from birth or close to birth. So, so mm-hmm. rather than being a complication of the diabetes, it's kind of occurring in parallel. So that's really what I was talking about there. That's helpful. Thanks, Tony. Well, thanks again for your time today. And hopefully our listeners have a lot of information absorbed and they will also share resources online as well that Tony has, was nice enough to share with us. Thank you very much for Kenny um, and the NSGC for, for having on the podcast. I'm delighted to share this information. This podcast is produced by the National Society of Genetic Counselors. Subscribe to Genetic Counselors and You on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The content of this episode is developed by NSGC and produced independently from the sponsor. The sponsor commercial does not reflect their opinions of NSGC and does not constitute endorsement or recommendation by NSGC. While we make every effort to provide accurate and reliable information, NSGC does not control or guarantee the accuracy, completeness, or efficacy of information provided by any advertiser or sponsor. Thank you for listening to this episode of Genetic Counselors and You. For more information, about genetic counselors and to access tools and resources mentioned in this episode, visit aboutgeneticcounselors.com.